Welcome back, everybody. So, we have a very unique individual with us today. Unique because he has a story to tell that very few people on this planet can tell. A few too many that, that should have to tell that story, uh, unfortunately. But he, we're lucky to have him here with, to share with us the inside scoop of what he went through. Uh, we met oh, a couple years ago, um, actually on his podcast. You know, I was a guest for with him and we just connected again a couple weeks ago. Um, and Joel has a new book coming out, which you should all uh, look at. We're going to talk about that also. But welcome, Joel Evan. He's here with us. Kasha, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to, uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, I, people will recognize you from your show, the Joel Evans Show. You know, you've been around for a while, many, many episodes. You've been sharing amazing knowledge with people. I've listened to so many episodes um, after we met. And, you know, we've I've seen you at all the biohacking conferences, and but it's gone so much past that now because recently I saw you on the news. I was like, wait a second, I know this guy. And it was literally like the, the evening news. And there was a part of your story that I didn't know because when I met you, I met you as a coach, you know, who helped people lose weight, get in shape, be the best they could possibly be. And there was a whole other half of your life that I didn't know. And when I found out why, blew my mind. So Joel used to work for a certain, uh, who should, how should I say this? Oh, you can say it. San, the San Francisco Police Department. We can we can name names in this podcast. Kind All of right. <laughs> That department for which he was loyal, did his job well, was all of a sudden told, we don't want you anymore unless you have a certain chemical infestation in your bloodstream. Yeah. And he said, okay, then I'm leaving. You know, and he was one of the brave few that stuck by his principles, you know, and luck me for you, you know, because we looked yeah. at your genetics and maybe that wouldn't turn out so well if you made another it was, decision. It would not have been good, yeah. yeah. And But that was a very difficult thing to do, especially at that time. You know, today, now that everyone knows what you knew back then and why you made the decisions you made. So first of all, what drove that decision? Was it a religious thing? Was it a health thing? Was it a principle thing? Like, what was it? Yeah, so let me give you the backstory. So just so you know, you, you said a lot. So number <laughs> one is... When we met almost two years ago or whatever it was, I did not tell people that on the side I was a, I was a police officer. It's funny I say on the side. like That was actually my full-time job, but I was coaching on the side, and I was building my coaching business, and I was building my podcast. But I never wanted to tell people, hey, by the way, this is actually what I do. Because at the time, 2019, when I started the podcast, guess what? Police officers were uh, considered to be racist. They hated black people. Black Lives Matter was at the, the height of, its, um, of everything. And I was actually fearful that if I told someone that, uh, I didn't know where they was going to land. And I didn't want them to ever judge me on the fact that, oh, he is a police officer. He must be this. He mu they People are going to fill in the gaps. And I never wanted that. I always wanted them to just like me for like me for him or don't, you know, based on that. Don't, if there's a label or something like that. And so I was very fearful of that. Looking back, I wish I had. And I'll tell you this whole journey that I've experienced over the last two years since being fired has made me really realize that. It's all about stepping in your truth and aligning with that. And there's nothing that vibrates faster than the truth. I really believe that. I believe in frequency. I believe in like the law of abundance and reciprocity and all these things. And nothing vibrates faster than that. So now I think, who cares? I, I would have I rather have lost you as a friend early on if you thought, if in your mind, you're like, I, I can't like that guy. Like, who cares? Like, I'd rather lose you early now. And so that's been part of my growth. But 
you know, for six years, I, w- I started off as an Oakland police officer in California. And anybody that knows Oakland, California, they know it is always the top five dead or alive, one of the most dangerous cities on the West Coast. So if, if, you're, in the, if you're in the United States, you know that name comes out uh, very frequently because it's always top five rated for crime. I had no idea that when I got hired. And yeah. um, it was probably a good thing that I didn't know. As a kid, I just went to the baseball games in Oakland, and that's all I knew. But it is uh, it was extremely dangerous. And so I did six years there. I lateraled over to the San Francisco Police Department, and I worked there for about eight and a half years because I thought the grass would be greener. And I, you know, San Francisco is a worldwide city. And, you know, I had been there, yeah, eight and a half years, so almost a total of 15 years in police work. And the pandemic hit and I did my job. Uh, I was actually working at the academy at the time as a trainer. So I was a full-time trainer teaching use of force and tactics. And when the pandemic hit, I remember December 2019, they closed the academy down for two weeks. And you know where they sent me? Because they were so concerned about my health. They sent me into the Tenderloin District for two to three weeks. And they said, go out. And we need you to move the homeless people around because, you know, this virus actually spreads through conta- – the contagion is through, um, you know, close proximity and people. Mm. And the mayor didn't want to – it was an eyesore because this everything was shut down. Twitter, Facebook, no one's in the city. But guess who is? The homeless. And so they're out doing their normal thing, but it's a – it's a huge eyesore because the homeless congregate right by city hall. And so she would see it every day. And she said, SFPD, you need to go out there and move them along. And so I did, I didn't have a mask. I didn't have anything. I just, I did my job. I did what I had to do. And then lo and behold, a year and a half after working through the pandemic, they said, if you don't get this experimental product, you're fired. And I, uh, I'll be honest. I was actually, I knew they had no merit to fire me. Um, in the United States, there, I had to learn this. I had to learn a lot. It's called Title Seven, and it talks about the exemptions that you can have that an employer has to grant. And one of those two is religious and medical. And so I applied for a religious exemption. It was approved. And then later, I think a month later, they later denied it and said, mm. well, after further looking into this, and this was just, I mean, you, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do that. <laughs> that's illegal. And that's number one. And then the other thing is, when they fired me, they said that I was a direct threat to society. Now, already back in, I mean, this is, no, I got fired October, November 2021. We already mm. knew since March of 2021 that that was not true. They, we yeah. knew that it didn't stop infection. We knew that it didn't prevent transmission. So the fact that they were going to fire me over this, I thought was laughable. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. I'm definitely not going to get this. And uh, I was, I'll be honest. Yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm surprised they went through with it. Um, but there was no doubt in my mind. Yes, I have uh, faith-based rigi- re- uh, reasons and religious-based reasons, but I also like to tell people the, the science also that made me so confident that this was not a good mood move. And I have two boys, nine and five. And many, many years ago, when the topic came up, by the way, uh, as, a, as a kid growing up, I have many of these products in my body. My parents mm-hmm. didn't know any better. This is, what they, this is what we're all told to do, right? Now, when the time as a parent, you know, now you have to kind of educate yourself on these things. And the idea was, wait, hey, are you going to put these products in your own kids? And I'm like, man, I'm a big natural health guy. I have always have, but I never really thought about it. Like it was just assumed that these things were good and standard care. And if you don't, then there's also the worry is like, you're a bad parent. Like, what are you doing? So I went on a deep dive, Kashif, and I I went on a deep dive. I started learning more about it. My chiropractor, my kid's chiropractor was giving me information, giving me little breadcrumbs. Never said, this is what you need to do, but just giving me little breadcrumbs to learn about it. 
And I'll be honest, the more and more I learned about the industry, I was not satisfied with the answers I was coming up with. And yeah. I did not. And, and when I really got into it, I'm like, oh, my God, there, this has been going on since the beginning of time. And so when we entered the pandemic in 2019, what I tell people, because they always say, Joel, how are you so confident? And you just you were so confident that this was not a good idea. And I'm like, look, they've been running this play, this playbook since the 1900s. Just go back and look. The only mm. uh, and so what what actually really happened, though, in the pandemic is they just pour gasoline. I mean, that was I've never seen it as bad. I don't think any of us have. And they just poured gasoline on the fire. And um, like again, luckily, I always tell people I was nine years ahead of you because of my son. He forced me to go down and do a lot of research. And I was just by the time the pandemic hit, I was very prepared and very confident and grounded in what I was going to do. Hmm. And by yeah, the way, I mean, the last thing I'll say is it wasn't easy. Um, you know, I, I had uh, I was making two hundred thousand dollars a year as a San Francisco police officer, and so to have that just stripped away from me like that, people say, "Oh, it must have been easy for you." You know, you had a good job, and you, you had money. BS, man. Come check out my credit card uh, bills right now and see how I'm maxed out. These decisions aren't easy, but you have to be really rooted in, in faith and courage. And I mean, there's, there's so much I've learned. I can always, I can tell you so much more. Yeah. It takes that, that courage, you know, because, and there's a lot of people that were borderline that, that fell to fear, you know? Uh, and so, and you're right. People don't, a lot of people still don't see this, that it wasn't a new phenomenon. What just happened the entire vaccine schedule for children is not safety tested or proven. You know, this is not new news that these tools, there's medications that go through rigorous testing that are, have, you know, double blind placebos that are safety checked for a, a decade before they get to market. I don't know how this happened, but vaccines get around all of that. Yeah. Right? There's this, there's this ruling that came out. I don't know when it was a few decades ago. That was just, the 1986 act is what, yeah. is what gave them complete, freedom of liability yeah and then so then why not just do that because if you're a pharma company saying i wanted to get to market now i'll take the least path of least resistance right 100%. and so you, you know just that word vaccine promises you that the person making it does not have the rigorous safety checks and protocols of any other type of medication any other type of pharma solution right so so it's the same playbook and it's it's over and over and over again and this is why we see you know, the kids, how many people are fighting over where autism comes from today? How many people are fighting over allergies come from today? And how many parents can tell you how much their kids changed a few days after they took certain stuff, right? And they know, nobody knows their parent, their kids better than them. But then a lot of parents will say, my kid didn't change is not true. Yeah, because genetically, they're not the same. Some can cope, yeah. some can't. That's why one in 28 kids is autistic today, not one in two, right? So... So then, so moving forward, all of a sudden you're sitting there, no job, dreams are smashed. And how does your family deal with this? Because you know, I, the pressure's at home, you know, like, I don't care about your morals. Go, go bring home a paycheck, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm lucky, man. I have a lot of support from my wife and, you know, the pandemic, I think there's a lot of, I know a lot of marriages and people got destroyed and they broke up, they got divorced mm -hmm. and it's sad. I mean, luckily my wife and I were super aligned in this issue. And so she, she backed my play. I mean, listen, I, I mean, I could have also gone out and got hired for with other police agencies, but I really felt like it was, 
I felt like God or the universe was just telling me like, Joel, stop playing one foot in and one foot out. Like, you know, you really yeah. want to get this coaching thing off the ground. Like, and the only way to really do it is you got to burn the boats. You got to burn the past yeah. and go all in. And I was always playing one foot in one foot out. And I think that security of always knowing that I had a, a, a consistent paycheck probably limited me. And I wanted to see what it was like to be no limit and to take the brakes off and go all out. And so that's what I did. I mean, I, I, I had been building, like we talked about, I've been building my coaching business on the side. I've been building my podcast rigorously and I figured I'm just going to double down on what I'm already doing and now really go all in. And that's what I did. And I can't say I'm, I'm a success right now, but I know by just continuing, if I just get up one more day and I get up again and I get up again and I just keep putting out good energy and serving at a high level, I'm going to figure it out. And yeah. so that's that's kind of been my mantra. Yeah, and I know you're being humble about it because I've seen your work online and you've been growing consistently. And I know, you know, so because when when you get that deep level of connection and meaning and purpose to your work, success is a much bigger uh, sort of image than, you know, here's my paycheck. And the, the potential of what you can now do, there's the heightened ceiling versus your progression through the force, very different, right? So now 100%. it's like sky's the limit, literally sky's the limit. And, and now you're helping people every day, uh, you know, in, in doing this work. So tell us about the work you do. I've seen it on, online, but maybe some other people haven't. Yeah. So, you know, it's so it's funny. I, I mean, every, a lot's changed for me in, in the last year and a half of, of being off. And, and it's been a lot of growth. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know this, too, because you you also left a very you know secure job right you were a jeweler and had this like a mate you were you were you were i mean i'm just imagining you bling bling and got the all the jewelry and you're you're doing very good but same for you you were like i i want to do something more and i and you weren't fulfilled and you 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 know you had health issues and you're like i could do so much more and and you changed the path too so credit to you man i mean in your book the dna way i mean i just I, i didn't know that about you and so it was really cool to read that but so for me, you know, when I when I launched my business originally, all coaches tell you, my business coach said, you got to niche down, Joel. I'm, I'm like, I can help everybody. Like, I'm a life coach. I went through multiple naturopathic certifications as a health coach. And I'm like, I, I can help anybody. He's like, doesn't matter. You're not Tony Robbins. You can't help everybody, okay? So I niched down to weight loss because I thought, well, that's something I think I can do well. And so that's what I'm doing. That's that's actually what led me to come out with my book, Ignite, which went yeah. bestseller in uh, seven different categories when it when it launched. And I'm really proud of it. But guess what? Even after doing all of that, after a year and a half, what I told you in the beginning is nothing vibrates faster than the truth. And I still felt like as I was doing all this coaching and helping people and getting people better, I still felt like, yeah, but... I don't, I'm not really a weight loss coach. That's not who I really in my soul am. Sure. I can get you results, but that's not who I really am. I mean, there's other guys that even do it even better. And, you know, look at, I don't know, a guy like Lane Norton or somebody, I mean, go to, go to him. He's great. But so I felt unfulfilled still, even after doing all of that and the book and doing well. And so now I'm actually really looking at um, getting back into what I'm really passionate about, which is just the mindset. And, uh, you know, something that I've been focusing on recently too, is I've, I went out and uh, hired a coach, a parenting coach. People say, what are you talking about? A parenting coach? What is that? What, what, what does he tell you? Like, don't spank your kids. No guys, he doesn't. But as an entrepreneur and a go-getter and you know, you ran my DNA profile and you're like, yeah, this yeah. is everything you are. Well, one of my biggest fallbacks is I'm not present. I'm not present with my family. I'm not present with my kids. Cause I got all these goals. If you see my whiteboard over here, I just got all these things I want to do products. I want to create. And I'm always spinning. 
But the problem is it suffers at home because I'm not present with them. And so I hired a coach and it completely changed me. I mean, and it's, I don't think you can ever reach a point as a parent where you're like, oh, I figured it out. But it, it's really made me realize like what's really important, right? And, and health is extremely important, but like what's really important at the end of the day, you know, yeah. when, it, when, when you lose everything and I'm on my deathbed one day, hopefully it's 120 after interviewing you, I can go to 120. But at 120, like, what am I going to remember, man? Am I going to remember like how, how many great best-selling books I had or how many products I created or the Lamborghini, which I don't drive, but am I going to remember those things? No, it's going to be like, how did I show up as a dad? How did I create, you know, those relationships and bonds with my kids and my wife? And how was I, how did I show up for them? And, mm -hmm. and I'm really, really thinking about that. So that's even uh, some, I'm even looking at right now at coaching first responder men because I see such a need for that. And so many first responders work in tons of overtime. They're not there for their families. And yes, they're going to get all the plaques and the accolades and say, man, he was one of the greatest cops ever. But at the end of the day, they all say this is, man, as far as regrets go, I, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids and family. And I don't want that to happen because I know I've, I've gone down that path. So this is the path that I, I'm looking at uh, expanding into now. But still, if anybody who needs help with metabolic health, um, we know, and I talk about this in the book, Ignite, it's, it's crazy. 6.8% of the U.S. population is deemed metabolically healthy, which is just a travesty. And so I really wanted to make something easy for people. Like I want people to really understand it's not that hard and people will say to me like, well, how do you do it? And, and, and really like I tell them I only work out 10 minutes a day. It, that's impossible, but it is because I've built in these systems and habits. And, and that's what I talk about in the book is how do we make health easy? And it's not, it's not a book about weight loss. It's about getting yourself healthy. And when you're healthy, you can't be overweight. So what does your 10 minutes a day look like? Well, I do have some biohacking tech, right? But if I didn't have that, you know, we saw when I met you at the biohacking com conference just the last year, um, I have, I have one of those newbie machines and we were talking about the electric stim. So obviously right. I can, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. That's an $18,000 machine. I can hack a workout pretty, pretty, pretty cool. But, um, what I will do is it's usually 10 to 20 minutes. I have a Carol bike. So sometimes I'll do, that's a 10 minute workout. It's five to 10. I mean, those are two 20 second all out sprints. Okay. Mm. I mean, you just, the, the studies they have just with that is you do two 20 second sprints three times a week. That, it, that came down to a, I believe it reduced VO two max by 10%, 12%. So it was a 10, almost and like, I think a 10% drop every year is that's like mm. a decade of your life. So type two diabetes went down. Um, and this was just three times a week, 10 minutes a day. So I'll do some kind of hit rehit kind of workouts like that sometimes. Um, for me, I'm doing a lot of movement and I'll use even like the X3 bar, right? I use variable resistance training in my, and, and that is just, if you don't have an X3 bar or you don't have all this tech, you don't even need it. Do one set all out to failure. That's really all you need. And so I interviewed a, uh, a doctor out of the university of Florida, Dr. Samuel Buckner, great guy. And, um, you should get him on your podcast as well. So we were talking about muscle hypertrophy. Like how does a muscle really grow? Do we need to be doing three sets of 10? Do we need to be in the gym 60 minutes a day, right? That's, the, that's what we've been taught. That's what I was taught as an 18-year-old through the bodybuilding magazines. And he said, no, you need to exhaust the muscle to failure to create the cell signaling response to build more muscle. 
And so how do we do that? Well, you can do it with just one all-out set to failure. Um, he actually, in our podcast interview, he suggested do two sets to make sure that we really created that exhaustion, that fatigue. But that's really it. And we know that more muscle and more muscle growth, that's going to equal more testosterone. That's going to equal more growth hormone, which creates lipolysis, which creates that breakdown of fat, right? So those are some of the things that you can do if you're looking for it from a weight lifting or exercising perspective. So when you say failure, people get stuck here because when I go to the gym, I'm going to load up my bench press and I'm planning to do eight reps. So does failure mean that I squeeze out a ninth rep or does it mean that I keep removing plates until I only have the bar left? What does failure actually mean? That's a great, that is a great point. So what you're talking about too, and that's another effective way. Sean Wells talks about that in his book, the energy formula, doing something like drop sets, which is kind of what you would be doing. I would, now here's the thing. I don't know what weight you're doing. If you're doing eight, eight reps and like the eighth rep is like, you can't do anymore. Well, then that would be failure based on the weight you have. So it's going to be either, or you're either going to go heavier and maybe you only get eight reps or you go lighter and you do 20 reps. Mm -hmm. Or you do something like kind of what you're talking about. Maybe you do 20 reps, then you do, then you take some weight off, then you do 15, take some more weight off, do 10, you know, take some more weight off, do five. And that would be your one, you know, technically your, your one set. So that would be one strategy to do it. The one thing I will tell you that I've learned from the, over the years of doing this one set to failure is mentally, it's actually difficult for me to go to failure be over time in the beginning. Yes. But over time, you know, you're doing so many reps or whatever you're doing, you get to that point where you feel the burn and you go, ah, that's good enough. <laughs> and you just naturally can get lazy because you're like, ah, I think that's good enough. So I think what Samuel Buckner talks about, hey, just doing that second, probably that second set is probably a good idea. Yeah. And often when you know there's a second or third set coming, you save some juice for that and you don't push yourself to the end, you know, because you you're thinking about the whole workout. And so if, Somebody, um, you know, is planning their week and you're doing sets to failure. I think a lot of people want to know and incorporate this to save time and be more efficient and really do what your body needs, not what your ego needs. Right. Like if you're if that's all your body needs, then why are you spending an hour in the gym for one body part? Right. Uh, Especially if you're not competitively like oiling up and putting on tan lotion and standing on stage. You don't need that. Right. So. So then your your total workout would be two, three exercises, a couple in there. What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one of the protocols I followed for many years and I go in and out of these, but is like Dr. John Jayquish talks about, and he does a push day and a pull day. So four exercises and you're doing, so if you're doing a push day, you'd be doing squats, push press, um, bench press and then tricep uh, press downs, right? And then if right. you, and then the next day you do all the opposite muscle groups. You're gonna do de- you're gonna do pulling. So you're gonna do deadlift, bent over rows, calf raises, bicep curls. And then the third day, so let's say this is Wednesday, you just flip flop. You'd go right back into your pushing exercises, and you're able to do that because your muscles aren't broken down from just doing one set or even maybe two. You're not gonna be super super sore. So, because it's just one set, you're creating the cell signaling response. You don't necessarily need to tear muscle, which is what a lot of people think. Oh yeah, I got to tear muscle. If I, you know, if I, if I don't have that like torn kind of, you know, bruising almost effect, which is what you're doing. If you don't feel that, then people don't think it's a workout, but that's not true. So 
that keeps you fresh. And then on Wednesday, you could just go right back to pushing again. And then mm. Thursday pulling. Oh. So you could work out six times a week doing this kind of methodology and you could go through each exercise, you know, really in a minute, which is how you're getting to the 10 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, people listening are probably thinking, I wish I would knew this before because all that time and effort spent in the gym. And then, so you've done the work to rip up your muscle to cause some level of recovery. And then what are you doing with nutrition? Because we hear so much about, okay, have your BCAs, have your protein shake. Oh, you're fasting. So you're working on the morning and you're not eating for six or seven hours or like, when do you eat? What do you eat? What are you doing with your BCAs? What are you doing with protein powders? What do you actually need? There's so much of a, so much to navigate, you know? Well, I think you would be better at answering that with based on your DNA. That's got to be my answer, right? But I, I think, listen, I think when you look at just the test of time and just overall, I, I really prescribe to just kind of the blue zone diets. I've tried them. I've tried pretty much everything, the carnivore, the keto. I like them all, man. I think they all serve their purpose. And maybe you need to go in and out of keto every now and then. Maybe you need, maybe if you had a gut issue, I think that's why carnivore really works so well is if you had a gut issue, you're not going to have that. But my mm. whole thing is, why don't you just fix your gut? Then you can have yeah. plants again. And maybe, again, based on your DNA, maybe you're just not most suitable for that. But I think when you look at kind of the blue zones and how those people ate, that's really what I prescribe. I don't think you need BCAAs. I don't think you need amino acids. If you want all that stuff and you're oiling yourself up for a competition and you need some of that, by all means, go ahead and do it. For me, I'll just tell you what I personally do most of the time, and I think this works. Most people, they're stressed out. Cortisol is high. Like mm. we know that everyone. And so their digestion is wrecked. And so what I think most people, they do really well is having some type of smoothie in the morning. So I use some kind of multivitamin powder, a plant-based, um, a hypoallergenic plant-based powder. And I'll use that and I'll make like a blueberry smoothie. Plus it gets me hydrated. I love my coffee like anybody else. And I probably have way too much. So I get a nice 24 to 32 ounces of water right away in the morning. And so mm -hmm. that's what I do. And especially if someone's trying to rebuild their digestion, that's a really safe strategy, having something easy on your digestion in the morning. So I'll do that. It's hydrating. Um, and then I'll have some type of vegetarian lunch, usually with a fat, like an avocado, something simple like a, a, a salad and some olive oil. And then I might even have another smoothie uh, in the middle of the day, depending how much work I've put in. And then I'll have dinner and a dinner is going to be like a paleo style meal. So a little bit of protein, some starch and some veggies. And that's it. And what, what time are you training? For me, it varies. Um, I've been training. I like to train personally. I get up early four to five in the morning and I let, so I, I'm not a morning. I don't feel like vigorous in the morning. It takes me, that's yeah. for me more, I feel like more creative. So I do a lot of my creative work that day or the most important thing I need to get done. And then around 10, 11 is when I find myself working out. Now I know we talked and I believe you said testosterone for men is highest 6am to 8am. Is that right? Or in the yeah, evening? Well, in your case, it'd be a little earlier because you're getting up earlier, but the circadian rhythm is aligned to the sun, right? So irrespective of when you sleep, your body's still trying to get things right. In, in accordance with the sun. So six to eight is usually that peak. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And then, yeah. Then I find myself what and I, and I try to go outside a lot for these 10 minute workouts that I'm talking about 10, 20 minutes. So I try to go out and be in the sun, or at least even if there's no sun, I'll take my shirt off and just try to get some sun. And usually around 10, 11 before, before lunch. Cause I like to work out and then have my lunch right afterwards. That's kind of what I try to do. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause you know, typically you want your fuel right after and a lot of people are challenged with the fasting, which it sounds like you're not doing. 
which I I've done a lot of fasting in the past. And yeah. uh, you know what? It's the fasting research is changing by the minute. It seems like now everyone's poo-pooing on intermittent fasting and saying it's not even real. It's only uh, it's only a caloric deficit. I think everybody should at least bare minimum do a twelve-hour fast. I think that's super easy and doable. I think everybody should do it. Um, I what I like to do is do once a week at least a twenty-four hour fast, and so mm. I'll just have I'll have dinner, and that's kind of my way of like rebooting my system and just you know, staying aligned with what I do. What I also do is quarterly, I do a seven day detox. And so there's two days of what I would call a modified fast, which is I'm having just shakes and it's like maybe a hundred calories total for the day is so it's so little that you you're still inducing autophagy similar to what victor longo talks about in his in kind of his longevity i think diet and prolon even though i've never done it from what i can tell it looks pretty similar very cool so yeah i i, I kind of agree with you there because i like yourself have been experimenting with fasting and i find like so you have guys like David Sinclair walking around saying that you can only eat one meal. Not that you can, but if you truly want to have a therapeutic anti-aging tool, it's one meal a day and that's it. And you're doing that forever. But I find that days, if not weeks into that, not everyone does well, right? Your body starts to struggle. Um, it may be a load on your hormones, your cortisol, your adrenals, your everything, right? Whereas if you really want that shock to your system that boosts autophagy and like that's that what is your body doing it's, it's responding to famine and it's boosting everything and giving you all the systems firing to to give you you know cell regeneration all the stuff that one day a week really does that if not two days a week right um uh so some people do like a tuesday thursday tuesday friday type thing uh, and they're getting the equal benefit I see as people that are just fasting every day and often miserable. So I've been doing it daily, right? Like I, I, I eat my first meal at like two o'clock, but the last month or so, um, I've been changing it up and some days I'll have breakfast if I feel like it, you know, and just listening to my body more. Cause I feel like once you get yourself to metabolic health, once you fix the problem and you're healthy, there's a lot less you need to do to sort of drive the needle, right? And a lot of what we're doing is about getting healthy. But once you're there, you have flexibility. If you want to keep diving deeper with your prescription for life with the Unpilled Podcast, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I've also written my first book, The DNA Way, Unlock the Secrets of Your Genes to Reverse Disease, Slow Aging, and Achieve Optimal Wellness. Take a look and enjoy, guys. Hundred percent, and I mean, what you said is so important because even Ben Azadi, you know, we know Ben, and he's big into keto and fasting. But even he said, like, man, when I eat breakfast, I notice my HRV improves. Yeah. So you know, it's, I mean, you got to do what's right for you. And I know there's general, like, uh, there's that famous general. I think I can't remember his name, uh, Stanley something. He does one meal. He's been doing it for like ages, and it and it works for him. But you know, again, if cortisol is spiking and you're doing all. Is it really helping? And I think the evidence is showing more. You got to do longer fast, the 24 to even 72 yeah. hour fast to really get that stem cell benefit. Or if you're trying to like help with something like cancer or something like that, you're going to have to go way deeper. So just doing intermittent fasting, a 16, eight, 
eh, I don't know how much that's moving the needle. And I used to do a lot of that. Um, now I'm just kind of like you said, listen to my body, doing at least a bare minimum of 12. I think that's absolutely necessary. And then I do a detox, like I said, every quarter. So every, you know, four times a year, every season, I'm always doing a detox. And I think that's what keeps me going and keeps me sharp because I talk about this in the book, 86,000 man-made chemicals you're being bombarded with every year. I didn't make that number up. That's on the EPA's website, the Environmental Protection Agency's website. So your liver's got to detox all of that. And what I see over and over again is people become toxic. They become inflamed. And I don't think all the weight gain and metabolic health that a lot of people are facing has anything to do with they're just not they need to eat less and exercise more. I think it has to do with the toxicity issues. So um, that's what I do. And I just, I have that like plan in my calendar every three months I do that. And that, that really keeps me sharp. And what, what does that protocol look like? That detox protocol? Kind of. So that's what I was saying. It's a seven day detox. The first two days you're just doing, and, and here's what, when I say detox, people freak out. And, or they yeah. think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I don't know what this guy's talking about. I've done that. They bought the green juices or the teas and the, the all that stuff. This is not a cleanse and okay. it's a detox. And that's what people get confused. They think they've done these juice cleanses, which that's great. I think you're, you're doing something, but you're not detoxing your body. And so all I'm doing is just stimulating phase one, phase two detox of the liver, which is helping pull out some of those toxins. And, and that's it. So it's just a combination of, of I'm giving myself the nutrients to stimulate phase two detox of the liver, which could be something like glutathione, NAC, glycine, L-glutamine. There's some Ayurvedic herbs that will also help with that. And so I'm taking that with a multivitamin that's stimulating phase one and phase two detox of the liver. And I'm doing, like I said, a little bit of modified fasting those first two days and yeah. then eating a low-fat plant-based diet in general that, that week. And that's it. And I'm taking oh. some supplements to couple with that. Yeah, it's funny because normally when you hear someone doing a seven day plan, it's like, here's the juices I'm taking. Here's the, the so that's why I asked, like, what was it? What does it look like? That's what was missing. But you're saying, no, you don't need any of that. You're, it's something entirely different. And which makes sense to me because a lot of people think they're going on a cleanse and they do like a juice cleanse or some kind of food cleanse. And they actually cause themselves disruption because they're having like 30, 40, 50 grams of sugar three, yeah. four times a day you know, and driving their insulin crazy and they don't even know what they're doing. And a lot of these foods that uh, can be tolerated as whole, when you blend them, you know, it's like, for example, baby spinach, the oxalate insult becomes so much more aggressive when you blend it into a liquid, right? Uh, I don't know what the mechanism there is, but it's true. So a lot of these foods that are meant to be whole when you drink them don't have the same, in fact, the positive becomes negative, right? So, so that's all awesome. And this is, this is why I think everybody should take a look at your book because this is years and years of you putting not only your personal journey, but your coaching practices into one book that people can now dive into and learn. And, you know, whether they decide to work with you on coaching or anybody else, they can, there's a, that's where the accountability and the bespoke personalization comes in, which yeah. you've laid it out in your plans in the book, right? hundred percent. So, yeah. So now recently, when I've seen you, it hasn't been about the book. It hasn't been about your coaching. It's been you on TV and it's been you on the news multiple times. And what's this new appetite where this, your story, which would have been buried and hidden, you're all of a sudden front and center as a spokesperson for what went down and the, what's going on in San Francisco with the crime, et cetera. And all, how did that happen where all of a sudden they're drawing on a guy that they were trying to hide? <laughs> so it's, it's funny you ask because 
a hundred. I got really lucky. I say, but maybe it wasn't luck. It really, it's a, it was a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. I never gave up. I tried. I reached out to media. I tried to get the story out early on. Guess what? Nobody cared. I wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't popular to talk about that back then. And so what happened is I just stumbled upon a reporter who was looking for a story and she worked for Fox News and she needed a story about how masks disrupted their family unit. And so I rose my hand and said, hey, I got a story for you. I think I can tell you about how masks ruined my my family. Um, And, you know, I was living in San Francisco. I lived there for almost 10 years with my family, my two boys. And we moved. We moved not too long ago in the height of the pandemic. We moved to Idaho, actually. Um, to, just to get away from all the insanity. And so I told her this story and she goes, oh my God, Joel, you have so much more of a story than just uh, than just uh, the mask. I don't even care about your mask score. I want to talk about this yeah. SFPD story. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, no one else has wanted to talk about it for two years. So I didn't think you cared, but sure, I'm happy to tell it. And that was it. Honestly, that was it, Kasha. Once I told that story, I kind of just got plugged in to the Fox News Network, and now they just text me or they call me. Hey, do you know anything about this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. I know anything about everything and anything about the innards workings of San Francisco. I know exactly what is happening and what's going down, and I can tell you why they're facing the problems that they're facing. And um, I have an intimate knowledge, obviously, of it and the the behind-the-scenes peak, if you will. So I know exactly what's going on. And so now they just continue to reach out to me and it's led to a, a ton of uh, media exposure, which has been cool. I mean, I'm happy to tell the other side, which I feel like is not being told. And you're seeing a lot, a lot of destruction in San Francisco. And I honestly don't wish any of this on them. But, you know, it's funny because when I was talking with even other citizens, they're like, I, we, I was on a panel recently on the Lawrence Jones show, which is a big Fox News show. And, you know, the citizens, I was I was paired with like three other business owners. And they couldn't believe my answer. I'm like, well, you know, you guys kind of voted for this. And like, what are you talking about? We didn't vote for this. I'm like, you did. You, you voted for all these policies that really limited what we could do as police officers. You voted in radical DAs that never charged these crimes. And so you have an apathetic police department that is hamstrung, that can't do anything. And even if they do anything, nothing happens to the criminals. So now you're left with here. It didn't just happen overnight, just like health. It didn't just happen overnight. It's probably been working its way over the last 10 years. And now we're seeing the repercussions and it's unfortunate. I think one day they'll turn it around though. It's getting pretty nasty. Like you see all these videos on social media, people just walking into a store with a duffel bag filling up because they don't even charge you for theft anymore. You know, you're it has to be this- over nine hundred and fifty dollars to be, you know, even worthy of really being a crime. Otherwise, it's just a lowly misdemeanor. And you know, the DA in the past said, "I'm not going to charge these people. Are homeless? Some of them are homeless, and there's others though. I mean, these are organized crime rings. I promise. And crime right. always moves in trends, and people don't understand that. And so, for you know, for the criminal right now, they understand this is a great crime to do. The punishment's very low. I don't have to fight anybody. I, you know, I can just break into cars and not deal with a person. Like this is great. And you know, the last thing I'll tell you is Whole Foods, for example. And in many of these stores, I've worked overtime. The stores would hire SFPD to stand a post and just stand there. Please stand there at the Safeway. Stand there at the store and just try to deter theft. Like people would come in from other cities just across the bridge and say what are you doing here, officer? I'm like, oh, they don't do this in your city? They're like, of course not. Well, that's how bad crime is, that they have to pay a cop overtime to stand there. And even when they were paying a cop's overtime at Whole Foods, it still didn't deter the problem. And that was like a 
that was a huge investment. That was supposed to be their flagship store in downtown San Francisco, and that closed within a year. We're not even talking about a jewelry store. We're talking about Whole Foods. You know, that is unbelievable, man. Like trying to protect all the protein bars and bananas with a police officer. But, uh, but that's what's all, I think they had 586 calls in a year. And it, that wow. ran the gamut of mental, a lot of mental health issue calls and and theft, of course. And so that's what they're that's what they were dealing with. And that was even they had to close, even though they had SFPD working overtime, and that that couldn't help them. So it was they're they're in a tough spot. Yeah, it's this general trend and theme we see of this like social destruction. You know, it's like taking all of what was built on this amazing country and slowly destroying it. You know, in in many different ways, all at the same time which is unfortunate because there's still a lot of amazing Americans in that country that are ready to do amazing things, but the landscape has changed so much. And, you know, where we speak to it is the landscape of healthcare. It is a complete disaster. And then there's guys like you out there doing amazing work and coaching people and actually driving outcomes. Uh, And nothing that we spoke of today had to do with disease or pills, because if you do things right, you don't ever need to get there. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll briefly just tell you, I had a woman recently contact me. I started working with her and she's like, man, I can't lose weight. I just had my second kid and I just finally got some time. So I started going to Orange Theory three to four times a week. She's been doing this for three months, hasn't lost a single pound. I said, listen, let's balance your body. Let's do things like the detox. Let's drain. Let's let's increase that liver and gallbladder and create drainage and detox pathways so that you can get a, that, a lot of that inflammation out. Kashif, in just one week, she lost four and a half pounds. And she couldn't do that in three months. Nothing changed, but we're just giving the body the right input to heal. The body knows how to heal. It just needs the right input. Yeah. Yeah, we are resilient. We are designed to heal, recover, regenerate. You know, we have stem cells in us, just like you said. Like, we're designed for it. Our bodies, our genes, they express based on whatever's going on. But if you're not healthy, if you're metabolically and cellularly failing, your genes and your mitochondria can't communicate. And they don't even know what to respond to. Everything turns into gibberish. So of course you're going to get sick, right? Yep. So it's unfortunate. So um, the book, where where can people get it, by the way? Amazon. Okay, Head so over to Amazon, Amazon and you can get it there. I, I kept the, the price is still, uh, I kept it low. It's You can get it for 99 cents on Kindle still if you want. And uh, that's, yeah, that's the best place to get it. Amazing. Yeah, because it's amazing because it came out only like about a month or so ago and it became a bestseller right away which is yeah. great and no surprise, you know, it's some amazing content in there. Um, and you're, some of it, everybody's here, heard here today. And in terms of your coaching programs, so I know that what I saw you dealing with online had to do with weight, body, fitness, which you spoke to so eloquently today, uh, but you're focusing more on mindset now. Yeah, I mean, listen, if anybody reaches out to me, I will still create a custom plan for you to lose weight. Like, make no mistake about it. I'm still passionate about that because it. I don't ever think about it as weight loss. I think about it as health. I'm going to get you healthy and then you're going to lose weight. That's the byproduct. I'm always going to think root cause. That's just exactly, that's how I think about everything. Even people I've coached in the past, if they didn't lose weight, I'm thinking, well, what else is going on? And what's going on in the gut? What's going on in hormones? You know, we were talking about a lot of that on our podcast about male mm-hmm. hormones and why they're not, you know, maybe they make testosterone, but maybe they don't convert it over well. And so I'm yeah. always thinking like, what else could be going on? I'm always thinking root cause. I'm not thinking calories in, calories out. To me, that yeah. that's 
there's some importance there. I get it. And on, on the professional level, you probably do need to do that. But in general, for just health, I don't think that's really necessary. And so, yeah, I still help people with that. I'm, I'm really good with a lot of gut stuff, H. pylori, parasites, things like that. Um, but like I said, I'm converting a little bit of my coaching to mindset and I'm going to be rebranding and launching some new things. And the reason being is too, and I'll tell you this, and I talk about it in the book, when people reach out to me to lose weight and I ask them, what's your biggest challenge? What's your biggest barrier? Why have you not, you know, you want this goal really bad, but why are you not getting it? And they never, I've never had them say, oh, you know, I just need to exercise more and, and uh, eat less. <laughs> they, they always tell me one of two things, Joel, I'm not consistent and I'm not committed. Yeah. And that's a mindset problem. That has nothing to do with eat less and exercise more. It has everything yeah. to do with what's up here. And so I'm kind of that's why I'm that's why I mean by mindset. I'm refocusing a little bit of that because I think that's what's going to move the needle the most. Yeah, I agree with you. In all the work that we do in on the clinical side of our business, where we support people by mining their genome to find all of the red flags that could potentially drive the needle for them and get them better. We always, always, always start with mindset. Always. It doesn't matter what problem we're dealing with. Because if the person doesn't know how they perceive and how the world perceives them, very hard to change. You know, it's very, and, and it's very hard for someone like yourself to work with them if you don't know what message you put onto the world, how did it actually get interpreted and received? Because what, what you say isn't necessarily what they heard and vice versa. So, yeah, I agree with you there. And the ability for you to do that is awesome for anyone that feels like they're stuck, you know, in whatever it is, this is often where they get stuck and nobody's addressing it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's awesome that you're able to do that. And I think it, about, I'm thinking about your story too, uh, where you had that guy who, you know, you told him his wife was going to get breast cancer, right? Yeah. And uh, he went out and he's dismissed the entire idea. He's like, ah, he went out and went to another company, got like a, the genome mapped and all these things, totally ignore what you said. And then she later got it. Right. And, yeah. um, in a way that's like, that's like a mindset thing. It, you know, he, even though you had the information, like I can give it to you and we, and I tell people this all the time, you don't need my help. You can go on YouTube and go read a book and go learn about these things. You can get yeah. a dude for free, but the mindset piece behind it, just like, like yours, if you're not even, if you have no faith in, in what I'm going to tell you or what I'm going to do, and you're not going to implement it, none of it matters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that gentleman, it was more like, um, this is not a prescription, so it can't be real, right? Yeah. Irrespective of what the DNA is saying and what habits we've identified and how they're misaligned and how easy it is to understand biological pathways, it's not as easy as a doctor scribbling on a pad telling you to go get something, you know? So um, that's where this guy was stuck. It was a mindset thing. He truly couldn't comprehend that I didn't have a lab coat and a degree, right? And that I could read a book and understand what it meant. So, but anyways, we then became the team that healed his wife because we understood why she got sick. So, and anyways, yeah, amazing example. So anyone that's listening, you know, all of our friends, family, customers, whoever's listening right now, I would suggest if you like what we do, take a peek at Joel's podcast because you're going to see a lot of, similar type of stories, information, et cetera. Uh, it's called the Joel Evans show, right? Yeah. I just rebranded recently. I just shifted over, you know, the, it started off as the hacked life podcast. Cause I was really into biohacking as you know, and Dave Asprey, yeah. and he was another great mentor, virtual mentor of mine that really helped me 
think about health differently. When my mom got cancer, that's what really made me go down the path of, by the way, breast cancer, estrogenic, you and I talk about that a lot, but but it really made me go down the path of natural health even more. I was always into it, but that made me want to do something about it. And, uh, you know, he was definitely a a mentor of mine and and really exposed me to health, thinking about health in different ways and how to get people better without any of the Western, so-called Western ways that weren't working. And so that's why I named it that. And I still love biohacking and alternative health. I still talk about that greatly. But I want the show also to have higher consciousness people talking about higher consciousness ideas. Sorry, not that they're they're higher conscious, but they probably are. But they're doing something disruptive still. I love having disruptive people like yourself on the podcast and just others that are thinking about the world differently. If it's just run-of-the-mill stuff, I mean, go go watch your mainstream media for that. I don't want to have them on my podcast. (laughs) That's amazing, man. It sounds good to me. So thank you for joining us here, man. This is awesome. And thank you for being so transparent about what you went through because, you know, people hear the buzz around this, but they don't hear the real stories. And it's amazing that you actually laid this out for us. So it's awesome. I appreciate it, man. Just one last final word, if I can, is just something that I've been thinking about in my own journey. And, you know, people say, oh, you did such a great job, Joel. Man, I was so courageous. How did you do that? And I never thought about it as being courageous at the time. And even now when I think about it, I think, yeah, but I, I could have done more. And what I mean is, yeah, we're seeing laws and all these things starting to change. But that's great. But that's also not really good enough. And I really want people to understand if you believe in something and you really believe in it, then you need to fight for it and you need Mm -hmm. to stand up and you need to do something about it. And I could have even looking back, I could have done more to galvanize a a team, a a group of people to bring light to the issue even early on. I don't know what it would have looked like. I I could have even peacefully protested, but I needed to do, I should have taken even more action to get people going because when we look across the United States and other places, the people that galvanized came together and said, this is enough. This is not going to, we're not going to take this. They actually won. They got things to stop. And mm. um, that didn't happen for me. I, there were, because guess what? The group of people that I was around, like you said, I was one of very few out of 2000 officers, only 70 of us, 70 of us were willing to get fired and go the distance. That's nobody. That's nothing. And so you're not going to win with those numbers. You look at other departments that are bigger, like LAPD, they had 2,000 cops that said, we're not going to do this out of 10,000. That's 20% Mm -hmm. of their force. Guess what? Nothing happened to them. And LA and San Francisco are politically aligned in the same way. So we see over and over again, the the people that, that stood in their truth and actually did something about it even more, those are the ones that really created change. And so, yes, lawsuits and things like that are good, but they're going to take a long, long time. And um, if we can really take action, that's going to be important. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's awesome because we already know the next virus is dropping in 2025. They've already, they've already announced it. So oh boy, <laughs> we got to learn from the past and galvanize next time, you know, and stay strong. Right. So that's amazing, man. Thank you again so much. Thank and you, everybody take, take a look at the book the podcast and call Joel if you need some help. Absolutely.